You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, on my right, we've got Mr... I've just come back from yet another trip. Bobby Osinski. Bobby. Hey, Mike. Hi, guys. Bobby, you're all tan. You're all, you're all looking good. And Yeah, I, I caught some sun. I caught some rays, <laughs> which is really good because it's like, what, 20 degrees in LA? <laughs> and next to him, we've got the one and only, the human Foley machine. <laughs> Foley? Scott. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Scott Gershon. <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, over here on my left, we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. This is show 169 in a row, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Wow. I'm actually here or am I on Skype? You are here. Oh, so I need to keep my pants on. <laughs> yes, please. please. Okay. <laughs> yes. Just please checking. Please keep your pants on. Uh, well, guys, this is show 169. This is our last wow. show of the year. Wow. You know, I, I looked at that. I'm thinking we couldn't fit somewhere in there. Just another show. So that's what we could end it on like a 170 because that sounds way more than 169. I just dubbed this 170. Rounded. Let's just say it's 170. <laughs> you know what? To be honest, if you count. And, and the, then you have an auction for the missing one. Yeah. <laughs> if you count all the specials. This is probably like 174, I think. So wow. we're good. It's all good. Hey, anyhow, this is uh, this will be the last show of the year. Uh, what a year! I mean, where did this year go? I don't know about you, but it seems like I blinked and the year is over. It's crazy. It is crazy. Well, two things. Number one, I know it was busy because we've probably done the least amount of podcasts this year as we've done any year, <laughs> and and they've been a little slow getting out, but we've just been really busy. Things have been happening. So that's kind of good and kind of bad. It's good because we have stuff to talk about. It's bad because you don't hear it for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, give the people what they want. We're just doing quality over quantity. (laughs) But anyway, there's a lot to talk about. We have a really great show today. We're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff, um, stories, some funny things, and some technology. But let's start with tech really quick because – just right on the front, I want to talk about a couple plugins, and I know, I know Scott wants to talk about a plugin, but I recently um, got a demo, and uh, actually, Sean, who was here on the last podcast, mm-hmm. he bought this plugin, and he showed it to me, and it's, every once in a while, there's a plugin where you're like, okay, this is going to be a game changer, and this one is, it's made by um, the Cargo Cult. These guys used to be um, Maggot Software, who did Spanner, mm-hmm. and the name of the plugin is Slapper. And what's cool is it's it's a delay, unlike any delay you've heard, and it does five one delay. It has spatializing. It has a really great interface. The presets are amazing. It will give you stuff that you normally would think you'd be a preset and like a reverb. You know, as far as dis- distancing and things like that, we're really, you know, if you think about reverb, reverb's just, you know, it's a form of delay. Um, and it does some amazing, just spatialized stuff that you always want to do, especially if you're a sound designer working in 5.1. It just takes some time to do it. And this is just a preset away. And then you can get, start someplace and do some really cool stuff. It's 5.1 and, and you're, uh, you're, 
different specializes different places for the different parts of the delay. It's just amazing. I mean, have you heard about it? Have you seen the demos? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've seen the ads, and I uh, I haven't played with it yet. Does this do? Does it support seven one five one all the different yeah, formats? Yeah, it goes it goes up to seven one. I mean, it's just amazing. That's just that in and of itself. Just makes can you me can giddy. you control pitch on each delay as well? Do you happen Ooh. to know? Ooh. I, you know yeah, what? Because I, I know the TC six thousand had a multi channel delay, and you could control pitch a little bit on each of the delay mm-hmm. lines, so you can have a cascading like. So as it echoed away, it would slightly detune. You know what? You probably can. I mean, it has like very speeding tape mode, things like that. So I oh, can't yeah. imagine that you mm, can't yeah. do that. But I mean, it's some for sound design. It's just it. As soon as he saw it, it it immediately just. I mean, I'm, how much is it? Oh, it was like I'll tell you exactly. It was like <laughs> this is this is the, the part that's just crazy. Yeah. It's like three hundred bucks, right? Wow. It's not expensive at all. No, it's a lot for a plug-in. That, that's for me. That that would be, you know, on the edge of boy, this better be good. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to yeah. get some serious use out of it. Yeah. It's not like a one-off. Well, that's okay because the other one that I was going to talk about is like more. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> well, I'm, well, I'm looking this up because it's um, we're trying to load right you know, now. Th- yeah, there's another one that deals with convolution. It, it's three ninety nine. Just so you know, so it's actually four hundred dollars. Yeah. The uh, the other one that I'm looking at, which is whole different, you know, apples and oranges. Other than its fruit, it's called despatial. I was told that's somewhere between two thousand to twenty thousand. But what it does is that's a pretty big range. That's <laughs> uh, well, it, it, and I'll tell you the reason why. It's made for Atmos, and what it does is it does room simulations and panning and Doppler per object, hundred twenty-eight objects, all working within the Atmos paradigm. And, so it's, you, and you could build custom rooms. So you assign your object the reverb. So per. So what you basically put is no, you put a track. It's a plugin that that's a series of plugins that feed into a master plugin. Wow. And and it's uh, what was amazing about it was if you take dialogue. Oh no, here's a footstep. Somebody walks across a room. You put it in the room. It has the reverb. It not only that, you don't have to volume up, volume down, pan and EQ. It does that natural feel, like it's front of the mic, front of the viewer, then it goes away. And it has all this great algorithms that give you the sound of somebody walking away in a reverberant room. You know what? That's awesome. Because that's, believe it or not, that's not easy to do um, convincingly. Oh, no. It, it, was, it was dead on. It's, it's time... It could, because you got to automate your volume, right? Yep, you got to yep, automate oh, yeah. your pan, and then you got to automate your EQ and the reverb apps, and it does it all like boom, done. They did one. He took some white noise and panned it over the head, and it sounded like a jet plane going by. Mm. It had the that's cool. And the other part was uh, <laughs> oh yeah, and it's and you could change different reverb settings or uh, uh, IRs based on like room to room. Yeah. You could do inclusions. You can then also customize the room. So let's say... What do you mean by inclusion? So let's say somebody walks behind a wall. Let's say you have a character, you have an actor, and they walk into the other room and they're still talking to you in the other room, but they have a radio mic on. Yeah. You could say, here's the wall. Now, this is an old video game thing, so it's not new to me, but it's new to Pro Tools. So now they're going to talk from the other side of the wall through... The other side of, of, of a different room through the door. Yeah, so it sounds like. 
So what's like great this. is, yeah. and, and what's neat is, all of this is a panner. So you take the actor, you pan it off to the right, and now they're, and you say, you build a room, your wall, and then they're just talking to that room. Yeah. And it's all done. It's just, it's, it just, everything happens. The other thing they did musically, he took some Hans Zimmer music and spread it all around, and then you can group it as a single piece and rotate it. Hmm. So now you could sit there and you hear the drums just rotating around the room, and all within the ratio of spatialization of what you initially created. What would be interesting there is if you took an or- a recording of an orchestra and you placed the orchestra and built the hall. Yeah. And I bet that would be especially effective. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially if you can if you can simulate different types of miking on the orchestra, right? Because yeah. sometimes you hear a recording where it's it's mic'd really close, right? All the instruments are mic'd close. And yet you hear that tail of the hall yeah. on the backside, you know, and it's just really lovely. It really I mean, I, I did something for Runaway Jury where Michael Douglas comes out and he starts looking around for the person who got away and the whole, everything starts rotating because he's trying to find the person who got away. Or actually it was Gene Hackman, sorry. And um, what's interesting is it took me three days to build a convincing Doppler and everything rotating around the right. room yeah. and all that. And this one, all I would have had to do was place it. And just rotate it. Mm-hmm. It would have taken me about 10 seconds. So nice. it's worth the two grand. Yeah, for two grand, absolutely. I think the difference is, is how many how many versions, how many tracks. Yeah. Wait, 20 grand. They're thinking dubbing stage. Yeah. When I spoke with them, if it's 20 grand, that's not outrageous for a big dubbing stage. Yeah, yeah. But for an editorial room, yeah, it's uh, it doesn't make any sense. But you know and, he, and he said to me, he goes, yeah, you know, thinking about that, sure. All it is is licensing. It's not like you get a whole lot more. Well, and for your own, for sound design, you can use something like Slapper, which is $400. And that's, $400 is not a lot for a plugin that will really make you go faster and be better than the next guy, you know? Really. Well, I think it's great because Slapper is a delay. Yeah. Despatial is a, is a multi channel room spatializer. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, so look, some, looking at the UI from here that Mike has up on the screen now, it. it the UI is such that it it is spatial. There's a spatial component to it. If I there is if I can see that correctly, there is because there's the five one. Yeah, this yeah. is really good for a podcast, by the way. <laughs> but right here, over here, down on the left. Yeah. And I don't say one thing, but a difference on the D spatial because it's Atmos. It deals with vertical, oh, so you can take yeah. you yeah. can take everything and just lift it up. Yeah. And we did that, and it was like, okay, I heard that. That, that that's cool, and that especially Again, it's apples and oranges. They're both fruit. No, but. but to use you know that on the high end and this on just your sound design and and just I mean this is like you know this is going to be your Phillips screwdriver in your toolbox. This is yeah. going to be one of those things that you're going to want to get. Yeah, but I look at that for music and my head spins thinking. That's true. I can make my head spin. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's but, true. But actually, just thinking, wow, that's so much cool stuff that you can do easily that you have to build. That's, that's right. you know, the it's the whole thing about building it or just have it happen or have that, it available. That's the key with with some of these plugins. I mean, it's like you know, I live and die by presets. Like I know what you can do, but give me a good preset to get me close. I can tweak, but I don't want to build. Okay, speaking of which. I have to give a shout out to Andrew Ships. Andrew has his Waves uh, 1073 plugin, right. which is amazing. First of all, it did a great job. It's better than than a regular 1073, and that there's a couple little extras. 
But his presets are phenomenal. It's worth the money just for those presets because they really work, I got to say. So thank you, Andrew. Yeah, I'm a... Andrew, I'm a big fan. I'm a big big fan of presets, period. I mean, give me a good preset. And I actually, (laughs) I have a little side project and I call it the Preset Symphony because it's all this music that I'm doing just using presets because Mm. I, I have so many synths and stuff. It's like, who has time to dig into some of these things? You know, I can tweak a little bit, but actually... Dig it in from scratch is, is it's just, you know, I don't have time. But the only problem with that is sometimes there's so many presets available that it takes so long to audition them. Yeah, it's true. almost easier to start from the ground up and make it yeah, I, I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, look, you look at something like Omnisphere, which has yeah, like yeah, a yeah, thousand. Yeah. But, you know, it's organized pretty well. And if you know where you want to go, I mean, you know what an analog pad sounds like versus, you know, yeah. orchestral and stuff like that. But you know where I, I, I like, uh, exponential audio on a few play with Oh, Phoenix, yeah, so. great right, stuff. Right. right. So they had something what they called the Excalibur. Yes, it's wonderful. And, and it's wonderful. I've tried to go in and program it. Yeah, <laughs> and, I know. <laughs> and what he does is, based on the presets, the layout changes. Yeah. And I said, oh, shit. So I have to admit, I, I totally agree with Mike. I, I usually like EQs, compressors. I just, bam, I, yeah, I just yeah. no presets. When I looked at Excalibur, it's so deep yeah, that I, 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 I go straight to the preset yeah. and, and then tweak and, it from and maybe a little tweak here. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, but yeah. you know what? That's a, really, when you, when you have so many choices out there, um, get your plug-in and learn just some of the basic editing of of your plugin, you don't necessarily have to dive in deep. But I I know, you know, if you've got a synth, you want to you want to learn your envelopes, right? You want to yeah. do simple things, you know. And if you filters mod- envelopes, exactly oscillators, filters envelopes, exactly. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, and and then all the other stuff that it does, it's all you know. That's just like candy. And if you have time, although if you're Rob, Rob knows everything about everything. That is not true. <laughs> Rob, you know a lot, though. You dive in, you go to the level, and then you go in that extra level. You know what? Part of the reason I like to dive deep in things, and it comes back to presets versus doing it yourself, I, I definitely started out as a preset person, but especially in all the years with Stevie, he would always ask for the one thing the preset couldn't do. <laughs> and so that meant then I had to figure out how to do that one extra thing, and a lot of times it was way easier to just... Yeah, build it from scratch, and so that mentality has sort of stuck with me. Okay, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What was the most difficult synthesizer you ever had to do that with? DX sixteen W. Where we one I'll answer something that she's not going to answer because he's forgot. We ended up programming the Eventide. That was a bitch. Yeah, I have something way worse than that. Which Eventide? That when we when we used their. Um, Vice, Vice, Vis. What was that SIG, the system called? Oh, yes, VSIG. VSIG, yeah. The thing was? To program, it was for like the 4,000. Everything past the 3,000, basically, I think. you And you it. went into it, and the thing is, we were using RS-232 cable. Yeah. And then you'd put it in, and the question is, you never knew, A, did the preset not work? B, did it crash? <laughs> and you just didn't know. You sat there, we'd all look at it, wait for it to compile, stare at it, put audio, and go... What happened? Yeah, did it work? Well, but it was at least at least it was a graphic interface, even if it didn't work yes, a lot but, of the time. But everything was between zero and one. There was no but, one thousand. But I have something worse. Okay, what's the I worst? got worse. I got a few worse actually. <laughs> uh, well, the very worst was actually slightly before I started with Stevie. Was uh, they had a, a sampler where you basically would edit your samples by looking at screen after screen of hex. 
like hexadecimal. <laughs> you'd actually look at your sample on a green, you know, like a VT100 terminal, and you could tell like where a spike in the sound was because you'd see a lot of FFs. <laughs> and hex, so that was sort of nightmarish. Oh my gosh, I can't even, I can't even process that. So it was like numeric editing. But I'd say of like a mainstream product, even though it wasn't that mainstream, the PPG wave term oh, yeah. oh, was a bit of a nightmare because it basically uh, dealt in like two-letter abbreviations of German words that I didn't understand the meanings of. <laughs> and so it was so cryptic. I mean... That's pretty bad. Uh, it was I, pretty bad. And I, it was $7,000 for the privilege because that's I, how much the thing You know what was I'll a weird one? It was Mach 5. Beautiful layout. Looked great. Yeah. They fit everything on one single page yeah. that they needed a microscope to actually <laughs> see. Because you sit there and go, I don't know what I'm talking... What is this? You know what? By far the most difficult module from a mainstream manufacturer is it had to be the TX16W yeah. from, oh, from yeah. Yamaha, the yeah. sampler. It was, oh, yeah. it was the most horrible... Again, I've said this on the podcast years ago, but uh, it was the worst module ever i i didn't know i knew about four guys that have had them and i didn't know anybody who had successfully and and it wasn't it just wasn't worth it it was so much work and it was was, so slow and it would take forever i remember to load a sample i remember we were all hot on the that thing for like five minutes right which it couldn't even boot in five minutes but (laughs) that thing was i agree it was unbelievably slow but you know what one of my favorite quotes came from a magazine review of i think it was the trinity rack because the Trinity, you know, from Korg, right, the right. Trinity, <laughs> excuse me, the Trinity rack was one of the first synths that had, you know, like a little display like the DX7 and a lot of them had, but it had like thousands of menu options right. behind it. And you had all this huge capability, but unless you had a software editor on, the, on a computer or something, you had to do it all through this little tiny screen. Yeah. And one of the guys, I forget who the reviewer was, but it's still one of my favorite lines. He described that programming the Trinity rack module was like painting your house through the mail slot. <laughs> and I just thought that was so perfect. That's pretty good. Isn't That's that awesome? Good. It's such a great yeah. visual. You know, there's something that, you know, you, you, we leave that era, but I'll tell you what. Back in the day, there was something cool about having modules that you could program, having racks of sense that that you could see i don't know I, I really liked my career was made upon you know doing big mega midi you know racks like teddy riley's was like you know we had like 432 space um racks that we would tour with and they were solid you know s1000s and all the all the modules from the day from roland and there was just something cool when you were playing live it was sequenced and you see all the little midi um, the MIDI display, you know everything. Oh, you, you just like it. LED. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It you was, felt like a pioneer. No, it was so. It was so good, and it sounded so good. I mean, we'd take the thirty-two channels coming off the racks, and we'd ha- we'd have a sub mixer just for his all his modules, and then that would take a four-channel feed out to the front of the house, and it would just sounded so good. I agree, and you felt like such a pioneer when the stuff would actually work. But the way I could describe those times to anybody who wasn't around then is back then. You got really excited. It felt like a major victory when something that you'd spent way too much money for <laughs> did what it was supposed yeah. to. <laughs> right? That's true. I mean, like, like when it yeah. worked, when, it, when worked. it worked, like when you got through a show, I remember sitting there through a show and you're just, you're just like, you know, something's going to break. You just don't know when. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, just imagine, you know, being a keyboard tech back in the day 
you were sitting there and you knew you were going to be in the hot seat, but you just didn't know when, what time during the show you were going to yeah, be. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Sometime there's going to be a stuck MIDI note. There's going to be something's going to happen where you're going to have to spring into action. And it, it, a lot of anxiety. And then when you finish the show, you're like, yes. <laughs> I remember the time, it felt like such a victory when the Waveframe, which was like 150 grand oh for a big gosh. one, yeah. when it would run for longer than it took to reboot. <laughs> that was like oh, a major deal. Oh. And I remember for us, it happened to be 14 minutes. It was like, because it took 14 minutes to boot the thing. And, and it is the longest 14 minutes oh, on gosh. the Well, if you have clients staring at you, yeah. I, yeah. I James Cameron asking for something. And at that time, it didn't receive. Uh, every time uh, Waveframe saw a reverse time code, it would crash. Oh. And, and that, it was prevalent in that era. Yep. So I was doing True Lies, and all of a sudden the mixer would hit reverse. I get reverse time code, and I'm crashed. Oh. And he's like, okay, we just, uh, you know, can you just make the gunshot a little louder? Okay. In 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And then he'd do it, and it would crash again. Oh. And he'd go, in 15 minutes. So now James Cameron looking at me, kind of going, what the? You know what? He's a patient man, though. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and it's not, I mean, think, in an $800 an hour, say, average dubbing stage, it's not 15 minutes. It's $200. Yeah. You know, yeah, we can try it again in $200. You know what? It's not that. It's James Cameron. <laughs> well, it's both. And, and, and I remembered calling Rob in a panic, mm-hmm. going, I got to get us. If I'm going to survive the day. <laughs> I can reenact the phone call because it was probably the most freaked out I've ever heard Scott. But I answered the phone, and I was sitting working on something, and he said, Rob, <laughs> how do you avoid getting reverse time code into the waveform? What is that box you use? And I remember it was the fast, fast forward. Fast forward, yeah. But you, you sounded calm to the point, like, like, I'm standing on the top of the clock tower. <laughs> I mean, you sounded like you were about to lose it, but you were, like, unbelievably calm sounding, which is how I knew you were freaking out. <laughs> Yeah, but how was your reply, Rob, though? Because sometimes I've called you before, and your no, reply is No, like, I could tell I needed to answer. <laughs> and, and did, I, I was like, where do I get one? <laughs> and it was literally, well, we need to get a I'll, I'll pay for it. I just went, buy it. Can it be here in 30 minutes? And I had one, not because I never used reverse time code. I had one because at the time it was the easiest yeah. way to get a uh, time code inserted on your video, like yeah, if you wanted yeah. to be able right. to see time code on the video. So I had one. It was a great box. Yeah. And uh but yeah, I remember Did you sell it to him it. for like twice? I could have. I probably could have got twice the retail. Could have got a hundred thousand dollars for it in that it, moment. That's twenty thousand. You know, um just talking about difficult program synthesizers, and I'm just gonna go mundane here. The you know, kind of every man synth. Seven? The, no. no, the Roland D fifty. Oh yeah, that was cryptic. And and I grew up on like ARP twenty five hundreds and twenty six hundreds and I, I kinda know my way around a synthesizer. And I look at this thing and go, why can I not make this do what it's supposed to do? You, you know, you bring up an interesting point, though, because that synthesizer, when that came out, nobody understood the, that language because it was the yeah. first to do what it did. Yeah, and yeah. Then what's funny is the, is the manufacturers are writing the manuals and telling you things as if we all understand this concept and we've been working on it for... In Japanese, yeah. they're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and did you ever have... I mean, I was way deep into the D50 because when that came along, it was finally something that wasn't a DX7. Yeah. So And we were all excited to get Stevie excited about it because everything was DX7. And the sounds were cool, too. The, the sounds yeah. were cool. Yeah. 
Fantasia and all those. Yeah, yeah. Fantasia, yeah. Fantasia. Come right, on, right, right. Trying. But digital native dance. <laughs> was that D50 or was that M1? Oh, you know what? That was oh, M1. That was M1, yeah. Why oh, am man. I remembering this? Man, we need man. to let all this go. Oh. But I will say this. Uh, <laughs> You're right. Oh, I just realized I have the celebrity mic stand today to celebrate our, what is it, 169? Yeah, you do. I have the famous Patrick Leonard honorary piece of gum. Yeah, you do. <laughs> celebrity from like six years ago. That'll be a giveaway. It's DNA. Awesome. We can make them again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave that to you guys. I'm not going to touch it. Anywho, uh, the D50, because I bought the D50, and I also, when we were in Hong Kong, I bought a D550 because it hadn't come to America yet, which oh, was yeah. just the, the rack mount version. Rough, but, yeah. but with it, I bought the programmer, uh, which you could use on the D50 as well. Oh, that was cool. It was cool, except it's the first example of like all of the incredibly cryptic, hard-to-figure-out uh, values you could set in the D50 on the little screen. Now you had a slider for each one. And it still didn't make any sense. (laughs) You could access everything and you had a slider for each thing, but it was anybody's guess. I mean, it was, it was. Almost, I mean, it wasn't quite as hard as the DX7 to get a sound on. But. You know what's crazy about some of those early machines, though, is like just some of the concepts of programming and changing your sound, where you have like like resonators looping into themselves, and you can control the amount of loop coming back into this. I mean, just weird, yeah, yeah. weird little but concepts. But you know what? So many of those commands, it was just different ways of ruining the factory patches. It's like, <laughs> yeah. You would never, ever come up with something and say, well, that's better than what I started yeah, with. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? uh, well, <laughs> and believe me, I spent plenty of hours uh, filling with it. Uh, on the tape side, did you guys ever deal with Adam Smith? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. So, yes. Now, here's the thing with Adam Smith. Yeah. Yes. When yes. it worked, Nothing was better. It That's was the true. fastest. Yeah. It was crazy but, but good. But just getting it to that getting point. Getting it yeah. to get, So I remember... Well, why don't you I, explain I, what the... What Adam the, Smith was a synchronizer. So if you in the day, you needed to synchronize multiple tape machines together. And I... Zeta, right? The Zeta... Didn't oh, I, I had... I remember Zeta I had, 3. I had or, the small little compact one. Yeah. The thing is, I can hit... F, f, uh, a rewind, fast forward, and play, and instantaneously the tape did whatever I wanted... Almost as fast as a Pro Tools workstation. On the links, you hit rewind and you just wait for it to spool down. Yeah, yeah. And then it stops and you hit play. Yeah, yeah. And I found that the Adam Smith, even with you and I, Rob, as fast as you can input, it would respond that fast. And I thought, oh my, this is great. When you got a new tape machine in, and it wasn't like what I remember, Lynx was like, oh, I've got an Atari. You put Atari and it works. With Adam Smith, you call Massachusetts, yeah, and you go, okay, um, tapes zipping off in this weird directions, or <laughs> I wanna, you know, I'm, I'm going in, uh, I'm putting track uh, eight, and track twenty turns on, yeah. and I have no clue what's going on. Then uh, you call them, they're like, okay, and everything is either in hex and in weird codes. That's right. Yeah. So you're like, go to page sixty four, <laughs> toggle six <laughs> times. Okay, turn the F to an E. <laughs> And you're like, what am I doing? Don't worry about it. Because they're doing like spore cap stats. And I remember sitting on the phone with them going, okay, no, what's this? T- tell me what it says. Uh, one. Okay, turn the F to an A. Okay. And you go to it and goes, what's it doing now? And you'd have two days of this. And then finally, when it worked, it worked amazing. But boy, getting there was. Yeah, yeah a mountain. And you know, what's so funny is we're talking about all this different gear, and none of it was cheap. It, no. it was all thousands. No, it was very Tens expensive. of thousands. Thousands, yeah. thousands and thousands. And, and 
Nowadays, it's so we easy. Compare, how much was that? Like $400 plug-in. Yeah. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. $3,000, $10,000 $10, reverbs, $15,000 reverbs. Yeah. Cheap. I, I, I even times with 3000 at a steal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the industry supported it. I mean, the budgets for the projects. Well, that's true. And that's, that's true. And commensurate. That's, and that's why they were... Um, as expensive as they uh, as they were, I mean, now I just picked up. I don't know if you guys uh, know about the Aria um, Pro that came out, which is you know the Aria they had. The, the uh, Aria is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I picked a Pro, and it is a great little DAW on uh, on your iPad. So is and that it, the the DAW iPad that you can record and do all that stuff on it? Yeah, and it's great. And I'm actually mixing a project on it just to just because I wanted to, and it's it's about. Thirty-four tracks wide, and it sounds good. And it's and on a sixteen gigabyte. No, it's one hundred and twenty-eight gigabyte. Oh, but okay. it, but you you know you have plugins from Fab Filter and stuff. I mean, it's really a great little DAW. Yeah. You know? And, and what's your I/O? How do you get into it? Well, all this stuff that I'm doing actually started in live, and then I exported the tracks, and then you can you can import them either through Dropbox or oh, wow. directly. You know, and then once you have all the tracks. And you're good to go. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun, you know, to be able to have that. And at the same time, it's uh, it's a little intimidating because you're like, wow. But you know, I still come back to a comment that Rob made. That was the most brilliant concept overall. The the outlook overview of what an iPad is, and you said it was an output device, not an input device. And it, it rings so true. I mean, it, it it's so true. much easier to use it to get information out of than to put it in. But I bet I I, I don't have. Yeah, a, I still believe that I don't have an interface with it. But I I bet we could probably even um, with the proper interface, you know, record a podcast on it as a portable recording, you know, rig. Yeah, I'm sure you can. It's it's not anything that I would want to. You know, you're not going to keep long term storage on there. You know, you're going to yeah. you're going to take it off, but. But well, that, just just because you can do it doesn't mean that's what its core. It, it looks really good right. too. I mean, oh, it's, it's beautiful. It's yeah. Just but it's just that's one thing well. that's nice that I see the Avid because I've got the uh, iPad controller for it. Yeah. And while it's very simplistic, you've got the new the new uh-huh. iPad controller for yep. your for Pro Tools for S three. Yes. So I go into it and it's got soft keys, transport control, um, and then you can do. You can do if you got five hundred tracks, you can just hit it. And it's, it splays it out on your console and like, like an S6. And again, it's it's simple right now. Yeah. But there's more modules coming. Yeah. And this is free. So now all of a sudden you can control it. Free for now. Free, well, yeah. you know this yeah. right now. You're going to be it pretty soon. <laughs> but you know, you've seen demos, especially with the iDoc or the Avid Dock, iDoc, whatever thing is called. Yeah, exactly. The and now all of a sudden you can control plugins. On your iPad, so now your visual. Uh, so you basically select it, and it's a big fat channel. You see a compressor, your mm. EQs, whatever the EQ is, and then you can start adjusting it either on the iPad or through the knobs. Kind of cool. That's pretty awesome. Well, hey guys, we're gonna take a break right now, uh, but when we come back, we're gonna totally change the. We're gonna get a little less tech techy, talk a little bit more general industry, and uh, and then I'm also gonna bring up. Uh, a, a topic, and I want you guys to weigh in on uh, your own personal stories for something that we're going to bring up on the other side of the break. So uh, we'll see you then. 
listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were uh, talking about all kinds of things. And uh, while during the break, I looked up uh, TX16W from Yamaha on Wikipedia, and all it says is just no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised it didn't just take the page five minutes to load. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. See, Rob? That's why you need to be here in person. <laughs> no, yeah, we, don't said, get, we don't get those comments from yeah, Skype. Well, we don't get the zingers from Skype. All right, well. <laughs> that was good. Do what I can. <laughs> Anyhow, um, Rob, you wanted to uh, mention something. Yeah, yeah. The name had escaped me as you were uh, taking us to the break. And I was like, no, 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 I have something else to say. But I couldn't remember the name. But I looked it up in the middle uh, when we were taking the break. There's a uh, a company that sells hardware that... When I finally did bite the bullet and have to start doing stuff with the iPad, which I've grown to like, I was looking for a MIDI interface. Wait, wait, wait. What was that? <laughs> you said something. I said, I've grown to like it. The, like I didn't the, say it's replaced my no, DAW. I didn't no. say it's my primary instrument. No, but you did grow to like that's It has like, a place. That yeah. warms my soul. It has I'm a place. Just... <laughs> uh, don't push it, though. But it does have a place. But I was trying to figure out, because I've, I've had to be mobile with all my gear lately because of all the work I'm doing in Austin with the misses and traveling to New York a lot, and I need to be able to basically do anything from anywhere. So I was trying to find a solution for a MIDI interface for the computer, and I also wanted a MIDI interface for the iPad, because when I bought the iPad, I had no idea how I was going to get anything in or out, MIDI or audio. So I was looking around, and actually I looked online and didn't find anything perfect, so I went to the Guitar Center uh, in town here, and they showed me stuff from this company called iConnectivity. And their website's iConnectivity.com. And they have some really amazing solutions. <coughs> Excuse me. They have some really amazing solutions for MIDI and audio hmm. uh, into Macs and iPads. And one of the cool things, the interface I bought can actually be hooked to the Mac and the iPad simultaneously, be a MIDI interface for both, and also transfer audio between them, like bus audio between them and MIDI between them. Wow. So it's just a whole different generation of stuff that I didn't even realize existed. Wow. I found out later that an old friend of mine named Al Jolson, not that Al Jolson, but <laughs> he's not that old a friend, uh, J-O-E-L-S-O-N, he's a brilliant guy who did marketing for Sonavox and Sonic Implants, and, and I've known him for a long time. Broadway Big Band, he introduced to me a lot of stuff. Wow. But um, he now does marketing for iConnectivity, and I ran into him at the NAMM show this year, and he told me that you know he had just sort of found this company out of the blue, almost like I did, but he's been working with them for a while, and it's, he's the reason I guess I ran into it at Guitar Center. But I've actually uh, told him about the podcast, and he wants to come on and be a guest. Absolutely. But in the meantime, and he has a lot of great stories, but in the meantime, if you're looking for a really cool audio and MIDI interface... And they have some new ones, even newer than what I what I carry around. But check out iConnectivity.com. I've, I've never seen anybody else doing what they're doing. And one more time, what was that that you learned to you learned to something? Learned that to- it could make the iPad suck less? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I still don't use the iPad nearly uh, as much as you do, but every now and then it's cool. Hey, man, it's the secret weapon. That's all I can say. Yeah, and I'm just keeping it more secret than you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen... Um, 
I wanted to talk. We're going to totally let's just change change mode. Um, I had a friend um, that I was talking to who was battling with depression and was really thinking about just quitting the business altogether. And he's a mixer sound designer, and um, he was just really really low and. You could tell things were kind of getting to him. He'd been out of work, and he's trying to freelance, and it's it's tough. It's a tough. There's a lot of competition, especially here in, in L.A. And um, he was just at a really, really low. And he and he asked me. He said, "Have you ever been to the point where you just wanted to do something else?" And that stopped me for a second. And I was like, "No, <laughs> you know. I mean, there's been times where I've been really kind of low and been really kind of down, but." But never been to the point where I've wanted to do something else. It's always been there. But I can understand somebody. I mean, you know, we all know people right now who are, you know, taking a hiatus from, from you know, sound and audio. But I wanted to know that that just brought me to, I, you know, I just thought this was a really good thing to bring up on the podcast to see if you guys have ever been to that point where you wanted to, you just hit your professional low or you were just in a moment in time where you just thought, you know what, maybe I should be doing blah, 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 you know? And I mean, have you guys ever, Rob, you ever hit a point like that where you just, um, I mean, I've, I've never hit the point where I wanted to do something instead of, I've hit the point where I've wanted to do something in addition to, and definitely, you know, in the early two thousands, I had been, you know, doing commercials and movie trailers with giant symphony orchestras and right. these massive budgets and everything. And it all just completely collapsed. I mean, the budgets just went away. So, you know, I couldn't deliver the same product for $3,000 that I used to deliver for $100,000. So that was pretty depressing because I was having fun and, you know, turning out great product. But as the music libraries grew, and I definitely didn't have a passion for just contributing to libraries. I was fine when things that I wrote ended up in libraries and, right. and got used for additional usages, but I like doing custom scoring. So as those budgets were disappearing, it was just obvious to me that I'm just not going to be able to support myself the way I have been doing the same work. It's just, it's so obvious things are changing. You got to change. That didn't make me want to do that less. It made me want to do other things in addition to it to try to find another angle. Right. And for me, I mean, my interests have always been all over the place. Right. I mean, obviously music's primary, but technology in general was always interesting. That's when I got into web programming and trying to invent new technologies for the web and stuff, even though they weren't specifically music related. So when the misses came along and you know needed a producer and writer and all this other stuff, I had never 100% said I'm done with music, right. but I was going after a way to support myself as right. well. So I always have tried to look at a, uh, a break in the, in the excitement in an industry as a chance to explore something else. That's a great way to do it. And, I, and I, Scott, what about you? Have you ever been to the point, and there's a reason why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to this as soon as I'm done asking sure. you guys. You ever got to that point where you're like... No, you know, I agree with Rob that, that you know, there's times I've wanted to do other things in addition to what I'm doing. You know, I think sometimes what what we're exposed to in post-production is, you know, we have deadlines that sometimes you think we're curing a disease. Um, you know, anything happens. I've done 20 hour days for two weeks. Uh, I've, you know, you get these crazy hours and where you push your body and your mind to the brink that you're not even sure 
you know, like, I'm not sure I can hear, you can't, you know, think in here. So you're working totally on instinct. And what happens occasionally is a family, you lose a parent, um, um, you lose a friend, some life issue pops up. Right. And in some ways, it's a great way to escape. But it's also, it, it's kind of like babysitting a two-year-old. You can have the most horrific thing happen, and they don't really care. I mean, they kind of care, but they don't really care. Because right. the project's still got to get done, they still got a deadline, and you got to, you know, it's like a performer. Right. You got to get up on the stage, and you still got to do it. The and show must go Yeah, the show must go on. Yeah. So I think what happens, uh, or you do something and you think it's amazing, you work really hard, hard, and the way you think it's going to go, it doesn't. Right. So the work you put into it, a lot of times, 20, 30% only gets seen yeah. or gets heard. So I think what happens through the process is you never think about, I don't want to do this. I mean, some people do. Some people just run away into the darkness screaming and losing their minds. But most of the guys that are still in it, I think what happens is you need to take breaks uh, so you don't totally burn out. And sometimes you burn. You burn hard. Um, but there's times you go, I need a break. Then you go home. You live. You, know, you take a month off, maybe two months off if you can do it. And then you start realizing how much you miss it. Right. And that you got to get back into it because there's a certain adrenaline rush and a creative, uh, uh, um, you know, Buzz. Buzz, yeah. I mean, as I say, you know, I live by a mantra, creative people need to create. I mean, you just need to create. It's not even like you have a choice. It's just part of you. Bobby, how about you? Have you ever been to that place oh, where you're going to? several times. Um, the biggest one, though, I was, in my mind, uh, I was a player. I was a musician, even though I was spent a lot of time in the studio as an engineer, as a producer. Um, but I made you know, a fair amount of my living from being a player. And uh, I was on the road with a famous guitar player who shall remain nameless, and uh, I was the musical director for him. And the tour was so bad, especially the last gig, that I just said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. Bad in what way? Uh... The guy had a uh, substance abuse problem. Mm. He'd be a great guy during the day. Around dinner time, he'd disappear, and he'd come back, and his eyes would be pinned. And then he'd get on stage. That what, what really did it for me is the band would go up, and they'd play for a bit, and then he would come on and, and then play. And he got on stage, and he played for about 20 minutes or 25 minutes, played a solo, and then he looked at me, and his eyes were like slits. And he said, uh, is it my turn to play yet? I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm done. And uh, I made a decision. I'm not a player anymore. It was the best, one of the best days of my life. Because suddenly there was a pressure that was gone. There was a weight that went off my shoulders. And I just decided I'm going to just stay in the studio. I'm going to do, I like that just as much. I'm going to do that. So that was the one big one that I remember there's been several other things as well. Kind of the transition I, I made from, you know, working all the time in the studio to writing, which kind of happened by itself. But Thank God that it did happen, by the way. Well, I'm, I'm pleased because it turned into a, a very nice, I won't, don't want to say a second career because it's been, a, you know, there's been a lot of careers, but, it, you know, it's a, a nice sequence. 
But one thing I always notice, and I look at people that have made their fortune. These are either entrepreneurs, people that own companies, and a lot of them don't end up doing what they started. They take their money, and all of a sudden they're doing something else. And uh, I'll give you a good example. I was just at a party, and I met a very, very famous uh, music manager who has who had huge clients, global clients. And we got to talking, and um, you know, I asked him about his clients. He said, ah, "I don't want to do that now. I'm, what I'm really into is 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 art." And he started telling me about how he's collecting all this art and how he's selling it, and, and he was so into it. And I noticed that that happens a lot where people that are entrepreneurs that are creative just decide, you know, I like that, been there, done that, I'm going to do something else. This is more fun right now. And it seems to be something that, and now obviously, if you have to work for a living, that doesn't quite quite work out. But, you know, I don't think there's any sin in changing because, you know, we all evolve, we all change. And... One thing that's fun today might not be tomorrow. You know, on that note, technology has also made it easier for people to change, you know? Yeah. Because we're all more fluid. Now, here's one of the problems, and and I certainly had this. Sometimes you self-identify with your job. So your worth is tied to your job in your mind. It may not have anything to do with anybody else, but in your mind. And I remember as as a player... That's the way I felt. I, you know, I, I was only as good as my gigs. And as soon as I stopped that, I stopped, I got off the treadmill, that was gone. And, and I just felt so much better about myself. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, the, the reason why I asked you guys is because um, I, I told my friend I was going was gonna to bring this up. Because, you know, I think everybody kind of gets to their own low point and they all have your own. I mean, even though I've never wanted to quit the biz, I've definitely been in some pretty low points. Um, expanding on what Scott was saying about this industry can really, it, it's a machine and, and it's not going to stop for anybody. It's just, it, it doesn't care. It doesn't, it doesn't care about your commitments. It doesn't care about what you have to do. You're part of the machine. It's, it's just the way it is. And when you sign up to be you know, work in post when you sign up to mix, whatever. A professional artist, really. Yeah. You, you, this is the, the deal. You know, they're going to pay you this and you're going to be available for that. And the machine goes on. And, and once you accept that, then you, at least you know where your place is. You know, at least you know where it's going to be in. And it's not easy. And it's, it's not, not an easy thing. Well, see, here's, I, I have a saying, and, and I, I think I'm the one that came up with this. So I'll take credit. Yeah, um, but I think it really does kind of solidify what you're saying. If you realize that an artist does things for himself, creates for himself, but a craftsman does it for everybody else, and then you decide which category you're in, it kind of changes things. Because if you think you're an artist, but you're working for other people, you're going to be really frustrated. Mm-hmm. And and that's it happens a lot. I mean, it happens to me. It happened to me where you know, it's, it, if you're mixing, you're mixing anything. Oh, I got this great mix. This is terrific. And the client comes in and says, "Yeah, oh, it's not this and that." You're going to be really upset when you got to change things. 
And unless you have the mindset of, hey, man, it's, it's what, you well, know, see, whatever you want. But you know what? That's the mindset that I think I, I totally agree with what you're saying. But I think you need to be able to snap in and snap out of that. Because like when I'm mixing, I definitely feel like I'm creating. Okay, this is my moment. This is my moment in time. I'm going to create. Now, when the client comes in behind me and wants to change, then you bet I'm going to change to what they want to be. And now you're yeah. more of a craftsman. But look, at, at least at least my first shot, it's the way I wanted it. You know, and, and I'll change it because I actually, I look at a craftsman as something different. I look at a craftsman as finding efficient ways to doing something over and over. That they build something, they sure. know how to do it, and they do very well. What I sometimes do, the similar differences, there's commercial artists and artists. An artist says, I'm going to take whatever time I need to create whatever I want, and that is my art. A commercial artist is somebody that does something in a, in a commercial medium, whether it's visuals, audio, music, whatever, and, and does it for sale, and does it in a way that mass produces something. Hmm. So I think that commercial artists, and that's where I've noticed some people are artists, and they just they, 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 they dance to their own Yeah. Drummer. Meanwhile, commercial artists. Well, somebody in between a craftsman and a. Right. And, Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but even, I think though, you know, when I look even at, you know, is the director in charge? Yeah. Is there, everybody seems to be answering to somebody, and even a musical artist who might go, I want to create my art. But if nobody wants to listen to it, then, you know. And, and you know what? There are, there are craftsmen, in, in, because I work. You know, when I'm doing a lot of TV promo and a lot of TV spots, you better believe that's craftsmen because we're going to get them in, we're going to spit them out, and they're going to have a life expectancy of like a week. You know, mm-hmm. I tell mm-hmm. I tell the younger mixers and I tell all the interns that come in, I go, look, you got to do it. You follow this template. You do it this way. It has to sound this way every single time. Every single time. It has to match because that's the way the promo, the promo that you play for that TV show on you know in September has to sound exactly like the promo that the TV show happens in July. I mean, just it's always going to be the same. Right. You're always going to do it this way. There's no such thing as vintage promos, you know. So you're it's always going to be that way. It's total craftsman, you know. Rob, were you gonna? Yeah, I think that because um, I agree with what uh, you were saying, Bobby, and I think that um, when you're actually working in this industry, you, you fluidly move back and forth between the artist and the craftsman because if you put yourself in the client's mindset, they're hiring the artist. Yeah. You know, they want you for what it is you're an artist at. And when you're in that moment of creativity, like what Mike was saying, you're thinking as an artist. You're trying to make it as good as you can for yourself. Maybe keeping in mind what you think they're going to like, but they hired you for your sensibilities and you're doing your best to use your sensibilities. So you're going back and forth. Obviously once the client enters the room and it's time to get this thing out the door, your job is to answer whatever it is they want. We all know that game, but I think it's important to never lose that maybe artistic integrity is too hoity toity of a way to describe it, but it's important to remember that they're hiring you because of what you bring to it. You know, you have your experiences and you have your talent and you have your ears um, so I think I think you fluidly go back and forth. I think if you think yourself as just the craftsman, I think you become a factory worker eventually, which is fine for a lot of people. I've known people who are competent in audio who can basically throw music on top of or throw dialogue on top of music and ship it out, you know, for like PBS promos that no one listens to critically, you know, maybe. I think that there is a place in the industry for that, but I just don't think that's where most really creative people are exciting ended up. 
ending up. Yeah, and and like I was saying on this point is the business is going to keep going. You're right. No one's irreplaceable. No one is. You know, it's always going to be. There's always going to be moving. It's always going to be moving. And if you and if you get into the mindset that that you're bigger than the business or that um, you know you're too much of an artist, you're not willing to to work. compromise. It's not going to work. And I think I think that's. Some of the direction after I talked to you, my friend, he he realized his, he was kind of going that direction. I mean, just to show you how, how this business is, right? And I told him the story. I go, look, everybody suffers from burnout because they ask you to do lame things. I worked a 16-hour day, a 12-hour day, and a 12-hour day on a presentation video that was going to be shown once. Mm-hmm. And this was just a presentation. And it was... Three long freaking days. I blinked and it was already Thursday, you know? And and it's, you know, that reminds, I can see why 2015 went so fast now. <laughs> but, but you know, stuff like that. I mean, this is going to be, it was something that was, there was a lot of emotion. There was all kinds of like, people were panicking and they were doing cuts and versions and this and versions and that. And, you know, it's bad when you're like version you know, 21C, right? You're not like mm-hmm. 21. You're like, and you're not even on like the A version. You're like the C version of 21, you know? And it's literally going to be shown at a presentation, you know? It's stuff like that. You know, it's the equivalent of what we're just talking about before Rob and I were talking about at dinner before Scott got there. Uh, I have a problem with when I'm mixing with an artist that will say something like, uh, I need the hi-hat up, you know, half a dB and during the second chorus. And you go, well, no one's ever going to hear that. You're, and, and you probably won't either. And, and, you know, it might take us whatever time. Whatever time it takes us is kind of a waste, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And, and you go, oh, man. But that, that, that's, that's, that's well, tough. Like, you know, one thing I'll say, though, is, you know, I see lots of sound designers and even composers um, it, it, of all different ages. And I think the difference between a master and at their craft or their artistry and somebody who's not, the person who's young, who's learning the ropes, is very insecure about what they do. And they have to search and experiment and find, and they're never really like, that's it. I think the master, the person who gets it, knows how to do a stroke, how to do a sound to go, that's what's needed. That's yeah. all it is. That's where we're going to go. And you find the masters are faster. Not that they work faster. It's their ability to make decisions quicker and know exactly when it's in the pocket rather than the insecurity that goes with, well, what else do you have? No, that's a a great point. You know, being able to to make a decision and to stick with it and to move forward. Anyhow, all this to say is, is, you know... I think if you if you put the industry in perspective, and, and my friend who's who's out of work, um, just realize you know. Well, in his case, he kind of knows why he's out of work, but still, he he he's at a point where it's like he can either go this direction or that direction. And I was like, you know, if you even come to that point where it's easy to leave. I don't know. I just think maybe it's easy. Maybe it's time to leave, you know, because it would seem to me that if you really have the calling and the passion to do this, then you, like Rob says, it's never, you're never going to walk away from it. You may do something else, but it's, that option is, is always there. You know, know? I I will say one thing, like when a young artist, um, 
I've dealt with this many times. When a young artist goes to a record label to try to get a record deal, there's a standard litany of questions, you know, that the, I think it's not just young artists, but there's a litany of questions that the label always asks the prospective artist. And one of the most important ones, I mean, they ask things like, you know, who is your audience? What kind of music do you want to do? All that other stuff. But one of the, one of the key questions is, what is your place in the music business? What do you represent to the music business? And that's an important thing for everybody, I think, in anywhere in the entertainment business to ask. Am I one of a million just like me, or is there something special about right. me? And if there's something special about you, uh, well, you want to nurture that. Could you? But everybody thinks there's something special about you. Well, especially when you're young. Well, no, well, I know a lot of guys who are more like factory workers in audio. I mean, I do too. Not need, so much in music, but in. Well, I mean, if you're an artist, though, if you're an artist, you tend to have a. Yeah, but a pretty I, you know what's hilarious? The, the funniest part for me has been being in the room with the label execs after. The kids have left <laughs> because the kids always say, you know, uh, well, another question the labels always ask is what artist would you compare yourself to? And the kids always answer, well, no one. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm unique. I'm an individual. I'm one of a kind. Eh, wrong answer. Yeah. And that's the answer that the label execs always make fun of because, of course, you can be compared to someone. Of right. course, you are. That's what everybody needs to hear is how do you compare to something that already exists? I mean, you have influences. There's no way that you of course. can get around it. You know what I notice? Like interns that come you know, through my bay and stuff, I can usually tell the guys or the girls, lately there have been some dynamite girls that have been coming through who are going to make it because they have the – they want to do audio. That's what they want to do. What do you want to do? I want to do audio. I want to do sound design. I want to do mixing. I want to do something now. They They don't know exactly where they're going to land, but they know that's the direction they're going to go. And then you meet other interns. You meet other people, and they want to do audio, but not because of a passion because that was – it was on you know page 32 of the catalog and it looked really cool. you know. And it's just like, yeah, I like you know records and stuff. I mean – you can just tell the passion and all that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to get too scattered in this the whole conversation because essentially I just wanted to see how we all handled it You know, when you're at your lowest moment. And but I think that's a question you have to ask yourself in the lowest moment. Like, okay, I'm now out of a job. Is that a job I really had passion for? Right? No, absolutely. You know, what? because you have a minute to think about it then. I mean, I see plenty of people even in the post world. I know enough of Scott's guys. You can tell the ones who have the mega spark and – and who were going to be stars if given right. the chance. And then there are other guys who are content to do the work, go home. You know, it's not like massive and passion. I, and I think, you know, at all different levels, it's kind of like athletics. You know, you hear about all these great runners. And then one guy wins, and they always say he just wanted a little bit more. Mm, yeah. And I think that in the artistry, whether you're... Um, I mean, John Coltrane, after gigs, what he would do, instead of partying, he would go practice. Hmm. Yeah. So how bad do you want it? How, and, 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 where's, and when you look at your people that inspire you, the role models, you know, what level are they at? Do you not see how high you can go because you just want to go as high as you can? And then you've got to work that much harder for it. And I think that if you're insane enough to go, I have to do it, and I have to do it aggressively. Then you eat, live, and breathe it. You play it. It becomes part of your life, part of your spirit. I do think what you were saying that, you know, and I'm probably guilty of that, is sometimes you don't know where you begin and where you end as a person and as somebody in the industry. Uh. Because you fuse with it so deep 
that there is no difference. And, and then, you know, as, as we all get older in the industry, the, for those people that are like that, and I would even consider myself, you know, I've got to start thinking about what do I do when I don't do this? You know, that is so funny you say that. And it's very difficult because part of me goes, I can relate to uh, that. But it's even worse, though. It's how are you going to think about yourself when you don't do it? Well, but it's all one and the same. I mean, there is no difference. You're so, and I think it's because you train yourself. I mean, so many projects, you mentally, like an athlete, get into it. Yeah. Where you, I'm feeling bad today, I'm being distracted. There's 20,000 reasons why I'm not going to be creative today. But you force yourself into that zone to be able to produce. And you do it and you love it. Your ego's tied to it. All your friends are doing it. And your whole world rotates around what you do. Yeah. And then when you don't, I mean, like, I don't know because I haven't retired yet. But there is times where you've had slow periods and you're like, ah, crap. This is going to be challenging. Because, yes, it's not even how do you feel. It's even beyond that. You are that. Yeah. Yeah, not, right. You, you, there is no, there is no difference. I, I can't, I cannot tell you how timely that comment is because I, I was thinking about that. I'm, you know, you get to a certain age, you get to a certain point, and you're like, you know, you get in your like your late forties, and you're like, okay, what's the end game? How's this going to? Where's this going to go? And and for me, for me, I still have the passion, right? I, I, I can pull an all later, and it's, it's just, it's just what I do, and I, and I. I'm sick. I have this disease. I love all this gear. But there's going to be a moment in time where it, you know, I'm not going to be able to do what I'm going, what I like to do. So it's like, but it might you, not it, be that either. It might be that there come a point in time and you go, eh, you know, no, that's this, true was, too. this was cool once upon a time, but you know, this I, is cooler. And, and I actually, to be honest, Bobby, I I hope that's the way it goes for me because I can see myself. Like, <laughs> this is kind of funny, but um, I'm putting together, I'm doing this feature project, right? And um, and I'm trying to see how much funds it's going to cost and to do everything. And, and I'm working with a friend of mine and, uh, and I'm going to be directing and shooting. And it's, it's a really cool project. I don't think I'm going to do my own audio, <laughs> you know, because I think I'm going to hire one of my friends to, to do it. Because a they're going to have the time because I'm going to be dealing with picture and stuff and and b I just I'm at that at that time where I think for me to be effective for the project for me to be a layer up you know and and to be able to have that that time where I can be more critical on the mix as opposed to if you're in the mix right and then you're mixing it. Um, you are going to drive that mixer crazy. <laughs> I feel so bad for whoever that is. Well, well uh, you know, no, maybe not. Because I'll tell you what I find is um, if I produce, I try to always bring another engineer in, especially when I'm tracking. I don't say one word to that guy because I know I'm going to hire somebody that's really good. It's your show. You, you mm-hmm. do it because I hired you because you do what you do. I'm not going to think about it twice. The way I would do it, I've, I've worked with other mixers before. I've sound supervised before. And, and I give them the framework, but I want them to build the house. right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give them like, you know, hey, it's going to be ranch style, one story, and it's going to be, you know, 2,200 square feet. Or they're going to ask then, you. They're going to say, would you like it like this or yeah. this or what are you going yeah. for? Sure, yeah. And then, right. you let them, and then when, you, when you're sitting there, now I tell you what I can bring to the table. And this could drive them nuts, but it's like um, – if you want to do some really creative mixing and do some technique things that you know you can get accomplished and 
and if they don't know how to do it. But most of my friends, I have to admit, they all they're pretty dang good, you know. Mm. So it's like I'm not gonna have too many problems like that. But anyhow, all I have to say is, you know, had this been ten years ago, I would have been like, yeah, no, I'm gonna do everything. I'm gonna sit there. I'm gonna mix the whole thing and blah 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 blah. But as you get a little older and you realize you have friends and things and you're like, you know what, maybe it's going to be more effective for me to step back and to put a director hat on and take off the sound hat and go that direction. So I think, Bobby, it's kind of funny. I think that I hope that's the way I slowly move out of out of what I do. I think it's moving on to the next thing because we all kind of have our like I couldn't go on the road right now. As much as I love being on the road, I just I couldn't. My keyboard tagging days are over. Yeah, sure. You know, but I think that's important. I think you know, there's two things for me is diversifying what you do. Yeah. Like I've been doing, I, st- the, I started yeah, with records, forever, yeah, and then I went into movies, and I went to video games, I went to VR, I've done management. I've kind of worn so many seats, and I've enjoyed all of it, and I've had the fortunate opportunity to do it. And sometimes I feel like, okay, now I want to refocus what I know into something different. The other thing that... Or take advantage of an opportunity. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, uh, last year I did a theme park, and it was really different. I actually love doing things that I don't know how to do. And that's maybe the difference between the artist and the craftsman. Because when I know how to do it blindly, it becomes more craft. Right. And then sometimes I love going into whether it's a film or some weird thing that I go, I'm not sure how to do this. Exercising and your muscles. And then next thing yeah. you go, I got to wait a minute, I got to stop and actually got to think. And then you get insecure, and then you get the adrenaline, and it comes fun. That's that's the yep. rush. The that's other the, the rush. other part, which I think, if you get the opportunity, which has helped me a lot, are kids, and that is. First of all, you get to see life through a kid's eyes, which is what you used to be when you were inspired to do what you did in the first place. Yeah. And I also think that what's great about kids is they don't care what you're feeling. Yeah. It's all about them. And what's great is when you're so self-absorbed with everything in your life, and, that's, and you're like, my whole world is, is rotating about all the crazy things going on, and then you spend an evening with a kid, and they will suck it out of you. Because they want the attention, they want the stuff, and as, as you're in this feedback loop, they will get you out of it. And then you think, wait a minute, and then, you, then I feel more grounded, Right. where you go, but this is actually more important than whatever thing that was bothering me. And uh, you know, it's great when you can find something in your life that does that. I have a question for you, Rob. Mm-hmm. So you work with Stevie for a long time. And there must come a point where you went, I'm going to do something else that Instead of spending all your time with Stevie, mm-hmm. well, it's it's funny. There's a massive club of people who <laughs> sort of refer to him as the University of Stevie. Like you go there, that is correct for a while. <laughs> like three people in the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. and I mean, generally, it's a great education, and you go on to other things. I mean, I definitely uh, was with him a lot longer than most because our connection was on the technology and the music, and the technology is sort of an ongoing. Thing and what we've done together is so unique that it's not like. Yeah, you're his right hand man. I mean, you literally, I mean, you, you, he was closer than anybody. But so that's why the relationship has gone on longer than average. But yeah, I mean, the whole time I was with him, you know, I never did have a huge passion for traveling, even though it was fun and I got to do it. And I'm glad I did it. I don't regret any of it, but that was never my passion. I mean, I'm more of a studio person, but I'm also. A technology person away from music, which is why I have my you know software company and stuff now. I, mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. no, I was going to say I, I tell everybody 
Stevie Wonder was a great place for me to end my touring career because yeah, yeah. he was the last act that I worked with. But we're going to go from there too. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. It's like when, I go? sort of felt that way too. And I, I, you know, I, I built great relationships around him and because of him, you know, I, I wouldn't have had the chance with, to work with Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston and Ray Charles and all these other people who I only met because they would just happen to drift by the studio, you know? Yeah. It wasn't even hard to meet them. It's just like, well, go in the office. They're asleep because Stevie's 12 hours late. Yeah. So <laughs> it's easy to meet them and talk to them. Yeah. So, you know, that was all great stuff. But And it's not like I was always, like, one foot out the door looking for a bigger opportunity. But I always knew I was going to be interested in other things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I never misled anybody about, well, I'm just here until I can accomplish something and then I'm out of here. It's not that at all, but just because you're in one very intense business relationship doesn't mean you're not still interested yeah, but, in doing but other things. W- was there a point in time where you just thought, well, I, maybe the relationship I have with, with Stevie, I, I'm more comfortable doing something else? My, for me, the dividing line has always been, because it hasn't just been in the Stevie relationship, it's been a few times in my career. It's when I've felt like I've basically done everything I can do in this relationship or in this op- whatever this opportunity was like with Stevie, I had done like, I don't even know what it was like four or five albums and four or five world tours. It's like, okay, we can just keep doing this forever. But you know, I've seen every place I ever imagined wanting to go times a hundred. And it's like, well, yeah, I could just keep doing this, but I kind of feel like mission accomplished. And I think Scott relates to that too. You know, starting music, going to movies, going to games, going to VR, whatever each of those you get to a point where you say, you know what, there's still plenty more I could do, but I feel like I've done all I set out to do initially. So it doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing it, but let's see what else might be interesting. You sure. know, half the, half the battle is not only finding a gig, but it's knowing when to leave a gig, yeah. too. That's the thing. I, I, I left touring, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't an easy decision, but it was a decision that I wanted to do. Um, and I left at the right time because I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to be a 50-year-old guitar tech or keyboard tech. Left plenty of those around. There are apologies to all the 50-year-old guitar techs out there. No, it's just, I just didn't, for me, that's just not something mm-hmm. that I wanted to do. I mean, I know my, one of my best friends is Jonathan Kane's keyboard tech, and he's he's great, and he's happy, and he's been doing it, and he got me into touring. Making great money. And, 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 you know, and I think some people, what I've noticed is some people love what they do. They love security. Yeah. They love predictability. Yeah. I come in, I know how to do it. I'm really, really good at it, and I make some good money, and every day is similar to the next. And it's, it's always interesting. When I first started in the business, there was two types of sound designers, and it's different now, actually very different. But in the day, there were TV people and film people. Mm. Now, it, it, forget about the quality. <coughs> we're not talking about quality. TV, you got a gig kind of like September, August, all the way to about May. You did some pilots. Maybe a little bit of cartoon. It was predictable. You came at the same time every day. And people loved it because of the security. They had a gig. Unless your show died, it was a year long. Hmm. And you loved it. 26 episodes. They knew they made their money. And they also had, a, to be honest, they had a bigger outside life. Because there was also something yep. they did outside, whether it was gigging, music, or something. They had a summer. Right. Then you have the film people, which always live within security. I got a gig for two to three months, and I have no clue if I'm ever going to work again. And they have this mindset. And those people tend to eat, live, and breathe it more because, and they kind of live on the edge. And 
You know, like I joke around, I've been going out of business for 30 years. Yeah. You know, and you just sit there because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't have the gig. You know, you wake up going, I'm never going to work again. And then you find the work again. Then you think you're never going to work again. And then you, you do it. I also think that the people that live that way live at a buffet table. And if you look at, I mean, Rob is definitely that way since I've known you. And that is you go, oh, this is fun. Ooh, look Italian. Ooh, look sushi. Oh, look. And, and it's, it, you just sit there and you go, this is a taste I haven't tasted. That looks good. Let me try that. So instead of going to the same restaurant that's predictable, you constantly are living with multiple options. And you find those people will vacillate doing the same kind of craft that they've done. I mean, you've done music and programming for as long as I've known you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you lean it to the left, you do it to the right, you do some trailers, hey, you do some programming for games, you do some programming for economics. It's the same talent, but it's like a slightly different, it's all food, it's just different types of food. Well, you know what? This podcast turned into career day at the yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, or end of career day. Yeah. 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 Well, you know what, though? So we all go to Florida. But you know what? This all comes down to just... You just be honest with yourself and, and just evaluate where you're at. See if you have the desire, you know, see if you're at a place where, and you know. Be so honest with yourself. That's the hardest part. I mean, mm, yeah. it's easier when you're a little bit down in the dumps because you're you're already sort of going in that direction. But it's really good to analyze. Like, if you're if you feel terrible about having just lost a gig or something like that, Step back and think how much you even really wanted that gig in the first right. place. A lot of times, real brutal honestly will will reveal a lot. Yeah, I mean, and you got to realize why you lost that gig. And you know what? Here's something that's the cold, cold truth. But man, sometimes if you're out there and you're putting yourself as someone who can do X, and you're marketing your talent to, that you can do X, and you're going, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, and nobody's buying. Maybe you can't do that, yeah. you know? It's like there's, there's maybe there's yeah, but, none. But I'll, also, I'll just add one more thing to that. You know, they always made the joke of, you know, it's hard to get into a, this kind of career industry. It's harder to stand. Yeah. And I think that, look, I, I look at it even my no, that's own. That's true, too. I look at my own career, and there's times you go, I love it and I hate it. It's, 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 it's a dual thing. Sometimes you're like, I don't hate it enough, so I just got to get through the day or get through the week. Or It's a life thing. You, you go through weird periods of just, I just got to get through it because I'm not looking to stop it, but I'm not as into it as I used to be. And then one day you wake up and you reinvent it and you go, I love it again. I just found something that inspired me, right. whether it's a person or something in your life. And, and I think that, um, you know, it's hard. Anytime you're a professional, you have to push through the... It's like an athlete. It's like an actor. It's like you got to push through those hard times. Well, and that's, I think, the difference professional. And I think that sometimes you go, yeah, I'm not into it right now, but nobody cares. So you find something that inspires you, some weird mind game to get you through that hurdle. And I also think that look, when I lose a gig, I hate myself. I'm mad. I'm, I'm pissed off. And I try to figure out. How to get it next time? Yeah. Not it has. It has to do. What did I do right? What didn't? Did I did I interface with the right people? Did I maneuver myself correctly? Welcome to the land of politics. How can I be better at what I do? And if you keep self evaluating, how to be better, both politically, 
Objectively, economically, then gets you where you want to go because no great artist or even businessman ever made it. If they fail, okay, I'm done. That's true. They got to push through those barriers. You know what? It's come on. The road to success is paved with failure. Oh, absolutely. And believe me, (laughs) I have a long pavement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the cool thing, remember, the road to failure is also paved with failure. So So, failure is a good bottom line for either way you want to go. All right. Well, hey, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the uh, career day, but that was uh, pretty awesome and slightly depressing. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all good. So send your resumes to Mike. No, it's all good. You know what? I I tell you what. No, he'll be sending them to you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, on a positive note, if you're working in the industry, man, just. Take a big, deep breath and just enjoy what you're doing. You know, I, I come to those realizations every once in a while where I'm like, this is cool. I'm working on a robot voice. I got to give the client five different versions of it. It's like, that's not a bad gig to have in a Oh, day. did I say you robot? Know? I meant opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. That's when they come back. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so just, you know, enjoy it and, uh, and be brutally honest. And, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Well, gang, we are wrapping up 2015. This is it. This is the end of the year. Um, I was going to do this whole thing on uh, reflections back for 2015, but you know what? We'll uh, we'll save that for the next show. Um, so uh, before we go, um, really quick, uh, why don't you guys uh, fill me in on what you're up to, and also just give me one surprise from this last year, Rob, starting with you. A surprise from this last year, other yeah. than the fact that you just asked that without warning us? Yeah, yeah really. Um, well, what's going on with me? I'm happy to say the Mrs. Uh, Christmas song, What Christmas Means to Me. Uh, I believe we found out today that it's number nine on the adult contemporary nice. uh, holiday charts. It's on the Holly uh, Sirius XM channel, and nice. it's actually getting major traction. People really like it. So that's a nice way to round out the year. Any big surprises for this past year? Um, anything? Technology? Gig? Anything? I would have to say, I, actually, it comes back to the misses. I, I am, I was pleasantly surprised at how well their message resonated and how much mainstream radio accepted them because I was always told that was going to be a much tougher nut to crack. Not that it was easy, but the fact that they are actually a different message, it was proof to me that if you're an original there are still people out there who care about that, and you can actually get some traction without having to be with a major. That's so that great. was a pleasant surprise. That's great. Scott, w- w- are you up to anything cool and any oh, pleasant God. surprises from this last year? Uh, um, what am I working on? I can't say anything. Well, that's okay. Just, yeah. Scott's um, working on something really big that he can't say. No, you know what? I'd say that You know what's fascinating is I've now worked with more people this year more number and different types of clients from all over the world, uh, all over Asia, uh, and, and, um, and all over Europe that, uh, I feel like an, an outsourcing international company. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated on how similar we are. Um, I, I work with a lot of people from Korea, China, Japan, and everybody's kids colicky and everybody's, Got the same issues, not getting sleep, trying to get better gear, trying to get the gear to work. Why doesn't this work properly? And I love it. I mean, you know, once you get through the language barriers, I'm finding when you look at the audio international community of what we do, 
how similar it is. And, and that's kind of fun and neat, and uh, and I I value that a lot. You know, we've lectured in Costa Rica. Yeah, you know, oh, and, that's right. Yeah, that yeah, was co- it is. And I went to Austin, and I'm skyping everybody all over the world. And like, oh, just a second, I think the baby's okay. Okay, why don't? Okay, why don't? And it's I'm like, wait a minute, there's no difference, right? And I think that's kind of cool. You know, like audio people cross borders or something. I don't know. That's awesome. Audio <laughs> people cross. Bobby, how about you? Are you working on anything in? Cool, interesting, and what? Any good surprises? Twenty fifteen. Uh, well, I've been in the studio. I've been recording. I've been mixing. I've been producing. Uh, same old, same old. Uh, uh, working on some new courses that'll be out in twenty sixteen. Uh, video courses online, and um, some new versions of some books. So, you know, I've been doing all that. So it's been busy. Um, the one surprise to me, anyway, was a record that I produced two years ago, hit number two on the Billboard Blues charts, nice. out of the blue. Wow. So that was a, a very pleasant surprise. I'd say. Yeah. That's cool. It was a, an album by uh, Adriana Marie and her Groove Cutters. And, uh, uh, you know, what can I say? You wake up one day and... <laughs> at six and the next week it's at number two and you go wow how did that happen so it's cool bobby you I, that brings me up to something um you want to do something fun google bobby osinski and books and then you see that little slider bar come up at the top and you go like this and it just goes <laughs> there's, there's a lot yeah i've been prolific Let's was, was, <laughs> yeah. i always so, say you have written 10 times more books than i've read <laughs> sorry to say uh, so mike how about you um, I'm working on uh, some sound design for a series that I'm going to be mixing at the beginning of the year, uh, which is kind of fun. And literally, I was doing robot voices for uh, for the producer, and that's that's kind of cool. It's I'll tell you the challenge is doing a robot voice, but keeping the accent right. <laughs> so <laughs> the the was it a French accent? No, it's an English accent. Oh. Right. So they want it to be a robot voice with an what do you use with an English accent. Everything I just. I did everything from a little bit to a lot, speakerphone. Yes, but the English kind of... version, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you can't destroy it. It must be analog. too much. Yeah. But, um, so that's been kind of fun. And uh, I think the biggest surprise um, for me for the past year is that I am ending the year after our, la- our last podcast where we talked about doing stuff for free. I just signed on for a free gig. <laughs> I was like, how ironic is that? But it's along the lines of what we were talking about. Um, I'm doing a VR project and, uh, and I want to do it because I want to find out a much, as much about that. So it's actually for a, um, I don't know how much I can say about this, but it's for a cruise line um, VR project and uh, it'll be kind of cool. So, We'll see. <laughs> but I got the call from an editor friend of mine. I, and he's like, you know, we're doing this VR thing. You're interested. I, yes, I am. Yeah. Sign me up. I'll do it. Well, we, well, I don't care. Whatever you need, I'll do it. So 
I'll let you know how that goes. But yeah, that's that's pretty funny, you know, Mister Anti Working for Free. And <laughs> now I'm not getting a red cent for this, <laughs> but I'm getting a lot of knowledge, so there's some value in that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hey, listen. Um, the other thing that I'm pleasantly surprised is how many downloads we still get. So uh, our listeners are really loyal, and we really appreciate that. And guys, we're we're coming up. We're sneaking up to ten years. This is show 169, and uh, in April of next year, we will have been doing this for ten years. And do you want to know something crazy? There are listeners that have been with us all 10 years. Oh. And mm-hmm. there are uh, there's some amazing listeners out there. I mean, I am just I am honored and humbled by the fact that they still I got to freak some out. Hey Thomas, <laughs> hey Andrew, hey Joanne. Keep it loud, keep listening. Uh, we got a Yamaha mixer that we are looking to give away. <laughs> Yeah, we probably do, actually. <laughs> that show's going to be fun. i got some stuff. But uh, but seriously, though, I think the, the audiences out there, you guys are awesome. And the people that respond on Facebook and send me emails and things like that, you know. So we're going to have a 10-year reunion and bring everybody back. Did we yeah, do that We're going to, no, we're going we're gonna to do something good for our 10-year we're going to have to, because then we're going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Never. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you guys have been great. Um, and I know this year was really kind of difficult because we haven't done a lot, and they've been kind of sporadic. But just know we're all working, and we're all, you know, we're all still into this, and, um, and next year should be kind of fun. And we're going to do some fun things. I'm not going to spoil anything, but these guys know, and they're not going to say anything. All right. Well, if you have any comments or questions, or you know what, if you want to just write us and you know tell us a little bit about your story, if you've ever reached that low point in your life and and how you got out of it, and um, just reach us and and um, and talk to us. You can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com, audio at nowcastnetwork.com. I want to start a little bit more interaction. Um, email, you know. If you send me an email, do know that I will read it. I may not reply right away, but it always gets read. Um, and that's pretty awesome. We really appreciate that. All right. Well, from myself and all the guys, have a happy holiday season and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. And what am I missing? Happy Kwanzaa. Merry Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy, happy, happy Kwanzaa. holiday and a good New Year. And have a happy New Year. And we will see you in 2006. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel voice processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.